Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grace Assembly of God Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. If you would like additional information, visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. God uses people with a different spirit. As we go into the generation now, what it is is that we, we will be expanding our facilities. And to give you an idea of what the expansion will be, I'll give you the what and then I'll give you the why. The number of square feet is uh, 6,250 square feet. If you just look around the sanctuary, you get an idea how large this is, okay, how large this is. And this is a little over 5,500 square feet. We, we're going to be adding about 20% more. We're going to be adding this much right here, plus an additional 20% to that. That gives an idea of how much square footage that we'll be adding. We're going to be doubling the size of Friendship Hall so that our, the youth remix who... Um, have grown, uh, and the Lord has blessed them and blessed us because of it, but that's going to be a place of their own throughout the week. A play, it's sort of like a teen's room. They've shared, uh, they've shared the living room, so to speak. They've lived on the futon for all these years or the pull-out sofa, and they get to have their own room. How, how many like that idea? I like that idea, Yeah. This is a place where they can go and they can hang out. Pastor Bobby and his staff will be, bear, will be there with him. And then we are going to double the number of classrooms. Uh, most of the classrooms will be larger than what we have already. Uh, we'll double the number of classrooms. And then our children, uh, preschool, that's nursery, preschool, and elementary, will have a place that is specifically for them, it's a safe and secure place. It'll be an up-to-date facility as well as a friendship hall that, that will be up-to-date as far as technology and those type of things. So it's really, really exciting. And that's what we're doing. Ultimately, why we're doing is it so that we can reach more and make more disciples for Jesus Christ. And this is who God has called us to be. Um, I don't apologize for who we are. God knew exactly what he's doing when he put a vision in our hearts to plant uh, grace. And uh, grace is you all. That's who you are. And, that, and what the vision was that we would reach uh, families and equip families, uh, disciple families. We would reach parents with kids so that they would have a strong home and they could build their lives upon the words and the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so you look around and you see what we are, and we do not apologize for that. Uh, and I want to I say this, that uh, I'm so grateful to the Lord and to you for making this possible. What it's taken is a person of a different spirit. And we've, had, we've been so blessed to have people of a different spirit. On the inside of this Gen Now brochure, if you'd look there, we do this, we're at our 25th anniversary this year, and there's three reasons. The generation now, we embark on it because God has placed us in fertile soil. 
exceedingly fertile soil, and we can reach more. But the time for this generation is short, and now is the time. I am so pleased and excited to see the response and the numbers of families that are coming to grace and committing themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the care of, this, of our church. It's a sacred trust to us. The second reason is so that we can have a facility that says we truly care. We need an up-to-date, safe, and secure facility to serve and attract those outside the church. A church where kids will tell their parents, I don't want to miss church, and I don't want to leave. And some of you, you are experiencing that already. The kids don't want to miss church, and when church is over, you have to go looking for them because they're hanging out with their friends. I brought my grandson the other night, Jonathan, to Lego Mania. Uh, it was really a great event. And he said this to me on the way to church. He said, Papa, he said, it's okay when I get there that I don't hang out with you, but I hang out, that I run around with my buddies, is what he said. And I said, absolutely, because I can't keep up with him anyway. And uh, so he got all sugared up, and everyone else did, and I sent him home to his parents. It was a, it was a great night. But I don't want to leave. The third reason, because God has put an opportunity in our hands, and we want it to be said of us, their decision made it possible to reach more and go further. They set the bar high because they fulfilled the purposes of God in their generation. At the end of the message today, I'm going to refer back to this. We continue to grow as long as we are willing to pay the price and to pray the price. The most dangerous time in the life of a church is when we say we've got it good and we have worked hard, so why don't we just sit back and take it easy? Why don't we sit back where we are rather than moving forward? That is more of a retirement statement than a vision statement. How many understand that? Yes. The work of God requires all generations, and we need every generation to see the kingdom of God move forward. Everything that God wants to accomplish requires more than one generation to accomplish. This morning, we're going to be talking with you about what it means to have a different spirit. Um, this is found in the life of Caleb. We're going to be talking about um, the characteristics of that. And as we move forward, we're going to be asking you to pray. We're going to be asking you to uh, ask the Lord, what do you want to do through us? They're both matters of the heart. Money and prayer are both matters of the heart. Money is something that can build the house of God, the shell, but only prayer can fill and sustain the work of God. It takes both. And so um, as we move into the next five weeks, it's really exciting. Uh, I, am, I'm, I think I feel like a soldier who's been through boot camp, been through special training. Uh, we began these sessions back in our planning sessions back in June 
we had some marathon meetings, our director team and leadership team. Some of you know we'd come at 5 and leave at 9 at night. There's just meeting after meeting, back to back to back, all necessary because things just rarely happen. Uh, God asks us to be intentional about it. And then we've had an... We okay? Oh, Amber Alert. Okay, good. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad. You know what? I'm glad my, my phone is on vibrate this morning. I was in a meeting once, and the, uh, the man got up, a very well-known speaker, and he sternly warned everybody to <clears throat> turn your cell phones off or put them in vibrate mode. And about 20 minutes into this thing, his just went off, and he's fumbling around looking for his phone. I thought, I, I just love that moment. So, <sighs> But... These next five weeks, we're on the home stretch, and I think I feel like a soldier. We've trained, we've prepped, we've had so many meetings. The staff and I, we have lived this thing, breathed this thing, we've prayed for this thing. God has just spoke to me all hours of the day, and now I feel like, all right, we're here, we're going in. We're going in. We're equipped, we're ready. We're about to jump out of the plane with the paratroopers. We're going to pull the ripcord. We're going in, and we're going to do this thing, and we're going to take the objective for the name and the glory of Jesus Christ. Praise his name. Just five more weeks, five more weeks. This is the home stretch, and you and I get to be a part of it. Well, it was said of Caleb, these words in Numbers chapter 14, verse 24, But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. The backstory of this is Numbers chapter 13 and 14 where the children of Israel came to the promised land that they, 12 tribes, the leaders of 12 tribes, We're gathered together by Moses, and he said, now we're right at the edge. We've been in the wilderness for a short time, and go into the hill country. It was called the hill country, and spy out the land. And they came back, and Joseph, uh, uh, Joshua, and Caleb had a good report. Two had a good report. Ten had a bad report. And Caleb and Joshua quieted the people, and they said this, that, Let's go in and take it. It is a land that's flowing with milk and honey, and we are well able to overcome it. But the ten other leaders said, they said this, that's a land of giants. When we saw them, we became like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and so we became to them. I have no idea how they knew that they were grasshoppers in the eyes of the giants because I do know this one thing, they were so scared of them that no one did a personal interview with a giant. It was a battle in their mind and in their heart. The Bible says that they made the hearts of the people melt with fear. And we come to Numbers 14, 24, and God said to Moses, they will all, this generation will all die in the wilderness, but Caleb, and then it was also Joshua, because they have a different spirit. 
And I want to unpack that with you this morning. Grace has been the recipient of people who have had a different spirit than we are where we are today because there are people who have a different spirit. People that through the startup of this, and several of you are here uh, as we purchased ground, and we met for six and a half years in the high school. We met in about 35 different homes. And, and uh, just for, how many were here during the, when we broke ground? Let me see your hand. Yeah, yes. Okay, the McElwees, my wife, uh, Laura Jacobs and her parents. Who else? Ra- raise your hand so I can see this. Yes, Scott and Cindy Price, the Pavesis, Becca Pavese, John Clooney, the Stauffers, Phil and Ellen Drost, Katie Drost. Who else was here? Let me see. Yes, yeah, uh, Chris Colvin. There was quite a few that were here, and they were people of a different spirit who said that we can do this. There were many who said that we couldn't do this. I'm so grateful to God that we did not listen to those who said it can't be done. And I will say this today, because of God's hand is on grace, we will not listen to those today who say it can't be done. We will say, like Joshua, we are well able to overcome it. And if you give me this hill country because you've promised it, we will drive them out. And so I thank the Lord during the time of startup, during the time of growth. I thank the Lord for people of a different spirit when the church walked through a crisis and when people were, there were those outside who thought the church, that we would sell the church as, so we, as though we were some cheap stock that had fallen in value and they could get us for pennies on the dollar. Because we had a different spirit, we were not for sale. Today, that same DNA, that same DNA that God formed in us is full and it's alive and it's vibrant. When I look at the staff that the Lord has blessed us with, they are a staff with a different spirit. When I look at the children's ministries and the youth ministries and the worship ministries and the missions, and I look at Journey, that's our young adult, and what God is doing, and I look at so many of our young people who have come through the doors of grace, some with their families, some not with their families, but God has done a work in their life, and they've grown up through the different ministries and the high school, and they've they've made a choice to say that I'm going to devote my life to the Lord in full-time service, whether it's a paid ministry or not, but whether I'm an attorney, whether I'm an engineer, whether I'm a mathematician or a musician, it makes no difference where I am, my life is his, and he can spend it the way that he wants. That's called a different spirit. And I thank God for it. We have a video that we want to show you today, and these are a wonderful couple that uh, we just love and appreciate, and we want to show this at this time. God bless you. Well, the first opportunity we had at Grace to be in ministry was the hospitality. And, um, you know, God gives us all gifts. And it's a great thing when you can recognize your gift and use it for His glory. And uh, when we were in the high school, we had a wonderful time. We had a plan. I would go to the bakery and pick up the donuts, and John would go up and set up the coffee pot. And that was the beginning of their hospitality hospitality ministry. 
And then we had home group, Bible studies, and um, I was involved in a few choirs. Ruined it, but I was in it. And um, then the Lord really blessed us with a ministry called El Camino. And they were the best years of our life, I think. God is challenging me again with this campaign, with this building program, the extension. Um, a few years ago, God challenged me to increase my tithe, which was a step of faith, because like John said, with his work and his health, I wasn't sure, you know, and we none of us are sure what tomorrow brings. But when you're seniors, you're on a fixed income, it's a challenge. But God challenged me to increase my tithe, which I did. And I, we also, like many of us, give to other ministries and missions. And so this is a challenge for us, a real challenge, because there's other ministries that I'm involved in that I want to give to. So it's stretching us a little bit more. But when I pray and I think about it, God was faithful before, he'll be faithful again. It's just amazing from year to year uh, how the Lord grow, how you grow in the Lord or how he grows in you. But, uh, you know, you just step of faith, step out there, and uh, he's going to meet it. I want to leave a legacy here at Grace and wherever I've been, wherever I go, that will bring glory to God. That's what I want to live my life for. And to know that what we've done here together as a church is going to see an impact in Hartford County and beyond the young young people, the little ones that are coming up. I try to be an example for them, and I want them to know that no matter what age a person is, that we can love each other, we can communicate with each other, and help each other to become the disciples that God wants us to be so that each one, from the youngest to the oldest, can leave a legacy here and that our legacy will show this community what kind of church this is and what the church's heart is about. Isn't that good? Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, you saw some of the pictures, um, others that come to mind. The Bears were here. The McAvoys were here. Um, I still recall the first day they came with their three daughters, and their three daughters were scowling and just the thought, you know, and, uh, but how the Lord has used them. And, and, and then I, I look out, and I see the Terribios and the Chevrets and where there's so many that I could name the Hawthorns and just the list goes on and on that there was a foundation that was laid. But as Paul said, you took care how you built. And so we're here now. This is our 25th anniversary. But, but the Lord has, I believe, a future for us that's even greater than our past. And that's what we intend to walk into. And I'm so thankful and glad that you're a part of it, and we'll move into this thing together. Let's go to the book of Joshua, chapter 14, verses 6 through 8. And the scene of this is that the, the 12 tribes of Israel had crossed the Jordan 
They were in the promised land. And so the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. The first thing that would describe a person with a different spirit is that they are spiritual thermostats rather than thermometers. A spiritual thermostat is an individual that wholeheartedly follows the Lord and they carry deep convictions in their heart about what is right and what God wants to do. When they come into a situation, they set the spiritual tone rather than being a thermometer that's reflecting what's going on around them. Their convictions are determined by God's will, not my will. When Jesus prayed, he said, Thy will be done, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. When we wholeheartedly follow the Lord, God does something. John McElwee said something uh, so good in that video. He said, it gives the chance for us to grow in the Lord or for the Lord to grow inside of us. I really like that, for the Lord to grow inside of us. Today, I want to encourage you all to trust the Lord wholeheartedly Parents with young children, I encourage you to lead the way and wholeheartedly follow the Lord. It's an investment that you'll never regret. Make room in your lives for God. But it's more than making room in your lives for God. When we wholeheartedly follow the Lord, God becomes our reference point. And I also want to encourage parents today with young children, um, please don't feel that you have to be all in all and everything to your children, that they, they have to grow up where you almost become like God to them. You're their all in all. But wholeheartedly follow the Lord. Pray with them in the evening. Pray with them. Do family devotions. Come to God's house. Serve in some capacity. Give. Talk about the Lord. Make the household of faith and the Lord Jesus Christ a priority in their life because you've made it in your life. Spiritual thermostats. Their words inspire hearts rather than melt hearts. What happened was that when the ten spies with the bad reports gave their report, 
it melted the hearts of their countrymen. And if you read in the book of Numbers 13 and 14, what the Israelites wanted to do after that, that outfit got, got finished with their negative talk, their, their corrosive talk, they wanted to elect a captain and go back to Egypt. Our words have the ability to inspire people to move them forward. Without that, we default to the wilderness that we are presently in, or we want to go back. There is no vision from God in going back. There is no vision and there's no direction in the wilderness. There is no New word from God in the wilderness. Sometimes it's because we're afraid. Sometimes because we don't want to take the risk. Sometimes we're jealous of the leadership that God has. Or sometimes we want to be in control so badly that we're willing to say to people, let's go back rather than going forward. But spiritual thermostats... They inspire people with their words. And I say, God, thank you for so many that inspire people with their words. Their reward is the inheritance of the Lord. That's their reward. The second thing I want to share with you is that people of a different spirit embrace a God-sized vision. Verses 9 through 11. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land in which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever. Because you have followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. They embrace a vision that's God-sized, that is God-promised, that is God-sustained, and God-empowered. They understand that what God is doing, that there is a vision only in connection with God's kingdom. A vision connected with God's kingdom is eternal and is part of God's redemptive plan. Other visions can be good, and we need people of vision to build homes, to start up buildings, to to begin businesses, to have venture. We are here today because someone back in the day in England, there were people because they didn't like the way that things were, and they were allowed to come to, the, to America and settle and form a new colony. That's being people of vision. That's a good thing. But only the vision that comes from God is eternal, and only that vision has God's hand on it And God will sustain it as we embrace it. The third thing I want to share with you is that they know the Lord will help them. And I absolutely love this. Um, When Joshua, or when Caleb had said, I'm I'm 85 years old. I'm as still strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country. 
that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard that the Anakites were there, and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. I, I, just, I just absolutely love this person. Uh, we have four daughters. If I often said if I had a uh, son, I would have named him Caleb. Um, he went to the leader, and he said, Now, you know what the Lord said to you and me. And he promised me something, that everywhere the, my foot would walk, when we went out to spy out the land, that would be my inheritance forever. Now give me this hill country. And he said, Joshua, I'm 85. And I was 40 when God spoke that. That's 45 long years. That's 45 long years in the wilderness and trying to be patient with people who had been infected and their hearts were melted. How many know that's a long time? If God has put something in your heart and you have to hang around people who resist and, and just don't want to move forward, that's a long time. And so he's 85. I don't know if he was strong at 85 as he was at 40. I don't know. But he felt that. And I'd rather feel that. How about you? And claim that and say, I can go in. This is what I do know. That God gives visions to people. Uh, the book of Joel says that in the last days I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your young men will see vision. And your old men will dream dreams. So Caleb at 85 had a vision. That means he was still a young man. I have a vision in my heart, so that means I'm still a young man. I like that. How about you? As long as you have a vision that you can do something about, that means you're young in the Lord. And interestingly enough, in, in that day and time, that uh, um, if you're going to be in ministry service, it was between the ages, I believe, of 30 and 50, just 20 years, and then you got an early retirement. But do you know to be a soldier that... As soon as you were 20, you qualified, and there was no upper age limits. How about that? I think it's terrific. There was no retirement in, in that. And so Caleb said, now I want this. He said, God promised it to me. I went in. I've carried this thing in my heart all that time. And they believe that the Lord will help them. They believe that God is bigger than the giants. And the hill country that Caleb wanted is the exact same place that the other ten said there are giants in the land, the Anakites live there, and we're like grasshoppers. And Caleb said, the Lord willing, if he will help me, I will drive them out. And one of the things I like about people with a different spirit is that they take ownership and they say, I will drive them out. What they mean, what they say is, I got this, Lord. This is my assignment. The hill country, it became personal for Caleb, and he said, with God's help, I'm going to do this. I will drive them out. God gives us an opportunity and an assignment, and you and I can say, with the Lord's help, we are going to move forward, and we're going to expand his territory. Praise his name. God is so good. The last thing is this, that they know their legacy will be their children's inheritance. 
Joshua blessed Caleb and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. And then it ends this way. Then the land had rest from war. The eyes of faith that people have who have, possess a different spirit, through their eyes of faith, they understand that what they do today will affect the generations to come. The church that I call home, that is my home church, is Peckville Assembly of God. It last year or two years ago celebrated its 100th anniversary. Makes me feel like just a kid. I mean, 25th anniversary, 100 years. They had eyes of faith. It was a different time and place than in the hard coal mining region of northeastern Pennsylvania where so many ethnic groups came over, the Italians and the Poles and the Russians and the Irish came over. They come over to work in the deep mines. They were sturdy people. Old Brother Thomas, that when I was a kid, I started playing, I started playing the trumpet in church when I was 13 years old, and we learned, I played in the band, but, but I learned to play by ear because the services then were a different type of services. But Old Brother Thomas had a half a lung because he had black lung and had a silver cornet, and he would play. He was, in his, he was old because, to me, he was 75, and it seemed like he was ancient of days. But he would, he would tell us how, how that his job in the deep coal mines was, he was a monkey vein coal miner. And they'd go way, way, way in a quarter of a mile or a half a mile. They'd go down, 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 and they had these monkey veins that were you needed a vein of coal to be about three feet high, a minimum of that. But these, some of them were 12 inches high. And he would lay on his side all day long with a pick. And just, that was his job. Just pick away, pick away. Dig as deep as you can, laterally, horizontally off the big shaft that went down. He told us that when a mule died in the in the mines, that was more important than a man. And when a mule died, they would grieve over that. When a man died in that time, they would load you up on a wagon and they would take you through the streets of Scranton or Peckville or Blakely or Archibald or Dixon City. They would take you and they'd go up to the front door and there'd just be a knock. No one would say anything to the widow. The man would be on the front porch. He had died, and they would walk away, and you were left. You were a piece of meat is what you were. And in that time, rough, rough, rough time, God moved in my hometown. My hometown was predominantly Catholic at that time, and there, there were a group of people who God began to move in, and they came to the Lord Jesus Christ, these coal miners, and they found a joy in the Lord, and they had eyes of faith. And they, so they went about building this church over a hundred years ago. They went about building this church. And this church, so the men would walk a mile from the Lackawanna River, and they would get sand from the river and gravel because they had no other means to get it there. And they'd each take a bucket, and they'd form a big chain, and that's, that's what they did. But they had eyes of faith. 
And they understood that what they did affected not only them, but it affected those of future generations. And so today, if you'd go to my home church, that's been sold. It's been sold, but while we were there, they had, those men had poured concrete walls. They, they built with a, with, a, with a steel superstructure in the 1914s, which was unheard of. They put stained glass windows, which was unheard of. But it was something that fit the generations for generation after generation after generation. About eight or ten years ago, as the church had filled that, the, the congregation had filled that, and they're landlocked. There's no more room to grow. The Lord put it in the heart of my father that they would buy property up on Route 6, which is a major highway through there. It was on the side of the mountain that overlooks the valley. And they built a, uh, build a multi-million dollar church. And that church, now there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that go there. And through the valley, the really cool thing, this is the really neat thing. When we were kids, the way that everyone knew our church is it was the Jesus Saves Church because it was on Keystone and Brook Street in the town of Peckville. And the neon sign said, Jesus saves, and there were no setback lines in those days, and so it hung about 10 feet from the major intersection of that intersection. But who would ever see that was those that drove by today. If you go on not only Route 6, but from miles around in that valley, the hard coal valley of the Scranton, northeastern Pennsylvania. Up on the mountainside, you can see a huge cross that's lit up at nighttime, and there's a church that sits there, and you talk with people, and they know that's called Peckville Assembly of God. In my heart, when God called us here, there was one purpose, and that that was to build a great church. Not a church because I was disappointed with any place that I'd been. Not a church because I was running from something. Although my fellow ministers, so many thought, we surely must have been leaving behind a sordid past. Because why, at 39, why would you be starting out and be a lowly pioneer and you'd start from scratch? It's because God put a vision in my heart. What God put in there that we would have a great church And what I mean by a great church is a church that would proclaim God's Word and the leadership would be solid and the people would be sturdy and they would be people of a different spirit that would go from one generation to the next generation to the next generation saying that we would fulfill the scriptural promise that one generation will declare God's glory to the next generation. People with a different spirit see with the eyes of faith. They understand it's not just about myself. They understand that it is about their decisions will lead the way for future generations. They understand that what we do will affect not only people outside of these four walls, but it will, it will intimately affect the lives of people that are in this place. I've often said that following Jesus Christ means that it's not about us. But I've come to the point that it is true it's not about us. It's also true that it is about us. It is about us. It's about seeing what God sees. 
It's about a vision. It's about winning more people to the Lord Jesus Christ. We live in a day and age that's different than it was 20 years ago, 40 years ago. I remember our first place in ministry, the Outer Banks, North Carolina. There are two classes of people. Saints and sinners. And everyone knew was on both sides of the fence. Not only that, everyone knew what everyone had done. And uh, we went there and uh, thank the Lord, we had this wonderful pastor that was such a bad sinner that when God saved him, he put mercy and grace in his heart. And he, he just was a living example of that. And he was the most non-judgmental person. And by the way, um, God's not called us to judge people, and neither has God called us to figure everything out. We can't figure everything out. The times are happening too quickly. We can't judge people because things are, quite frankly, if we judge people, it's going to come back on us. All we can do, what God calls us, is to love people. That's what he calls us to do. That's what the church is all about, love people. Not to figure it all out, not to judge people. But I remember back then, it was a different time. Everyone, you were either on this side, right here, you're saved, you're this side, sinner. So we'd have revival services, and they're powerful revival services. And the saved would bring their friends. And the unsaved, I've seen many, many, many people during those services run to the altar to give their life to Jesus Christ. I've seen others who were far from God, and they knew they were far from God, stand up in the middle of a revival service and cover their eyes and give glory to God and thank God and honor Him as their creator and sustainer of life and yet go out and never give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the lines are very clear. We live today in a culture where the lines are not clear. But God has called us to be people who have a clear vision, a clear message. We learned in a training earlier this this year that when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are to marry the message, but we are to date the methods. The methods that we use today are different, perhaps, than some things from yesteryear. But the message is still the same. And so the Lord has given, I believe, to you and to me and to Grace Assembly of God an opportunity for us to make a decision that will lead the way for future generations. I don't know, none of us know. We don't, we don't know if we have tomorrow. We don't know if we have today. I'm hoping that if the Lord tarries, my, my, uh, my will... My desire is that grace will continue to grow and grow and grow and grow, and nothing could make me happier. Nothing will make me happier that when that time comes that I can lay down this mantle of leadership and go into some other role and watch this thing just go and grow and go and grow. I'm going to feel that my mission in life has been complete. So we have an opportunity and, and, uh, to do this in the next five weeks. I'm going to ask you to take out the, this Generation Now brochure, if you would. And this is what it's going to take. To build this, we're, we want to raise somewhere between $1 million and a $1.5 million. It starts, as you open this up, by 
asking the Lord, what do you want to do through me? And don't be surprised if what God says, it will be the biggest single gift that you've ever given in your life of any kind. To raise a million dollars, these are some of the things here. Um, there will be people that uh, it'll give a hundred thousand or maybe more. I don't know what God's going to speak. But 75 or 40 or 30, 20,000, 15,000, 7,500, 5,000, 3,000. But together, I believe we're going to see a miracle. Now, the building itself, we're looking, the cost of everything is going to be about a million dollars. Whatever comes in over that million dollars, we're going to put towards our present-day mortgage. Uh, it'd be terrific to pay off the mortgage. Um, I, I think that'd be terrific. How about you? But I will say this, um, if paying off the mortgage is our only goal, boy, that sounds like a wilderness goal to me. There's no vision in that. Our vision is to win souls and make disciples for Jesus Christ. We're going to get the tools that we need, put it in the hands of the staff that are here. And so uh, in this brochure, at the bottom of this, it's about equal sacrifice, not equal gifts. And um, as, you, as you just pray to the Lord, um, I'm going to encourage you to keep your heart and minds open. And on the 12th of November... When we come together to celebrate, that's, that's when we're going to be taking our faith promises. What the faith promises are is where we say, Lord, what do you want me to believe you for? Okay? Um, and what Chris and I have found that as we have made several faith promises in our life, we've never missed anything. We've never missed a beat. Um, never missed a beat. And... Um, we don't look at it as something that we're giving up. We're looking at something that we can give to, and the, the Lord will use that. And so I'm going to ask Chris to come with me if she'll join me. And Chris and I have prayed about this, and I, I feel it's important as leadership that we share this with you, um, what it is to encourage you. First Chronicles 29 says that when David came together and the leaders came together and he detailed what he had saved up for the temple, to build the temple. The people rejoiced, and it came in. It inspired their faith. And um, I want to be a person of a different spirit. How about you? Yes. And so we've prayed, and this is what we've, this is what we've done. I knew, that, I knew that the time was coming to share, and I've been putting it, putting it off. And so I finally said, Let's, we went down back. We have a couple large maple trees, and we have a fire pit, and we have a bench there. And I sat down and I took her hand and I said, we need, to, uh, we need to talk about what the Lord wants us to do. And uh, Chris, in her own inimitable way, just said, just cut to the chase. <laughs> cut to the chase. And I said, okay. And I said, I, I prayed, I believe the Lord wants us to give $30,000. And she said, that's what I've prayed I've prayed, and that's what I believe God wants us to give to. I can't tell you how two things. First of all, I was relieved, and second of all, how thankful I was. Now, what we're going to do on 
November the 12th, that's Celebration Sunday, and we will take an offering there called the Alpha Offering. So we're going to look at what we have, and we want to bring a large cash offering that day. I I don't know what it will be yet. We, We just have to look what it is, but for instance, if, if you are a person and you say that you give, uh, I don't know, we'll just say 15000 over a three-year period, and you'd say that, well, on that Sunday, I want to bring things together. I have $3,000 in cash. What that means then, you have three years to finish uh, your faith commitment of 12000 or 4000 a year. How many see what I'm saying? That Alpha offering is part of what you have, uh, you have committed to the Lord. And so would you believe with me that on November 12th, we're going to have a great time of celebration. And um, Pastor Bobby's already talked with me. He shared this with the youth group. And um, he said it's being received well. One of the kids came to him and said something like, we're all in. Let's go get this thing. You know, we can do this. And he asked me if they could, if they could celebrate on November the 12th. How, would li- how many would like to see the youth celebrate that day with us? This is, yeah. And uh, he, I won't tell you what it is. I said, the only thing I ask, just clean it up when you're all said and done, all right? And, and uh, we're going to have a great day on November 12th. The Lord is so good. I want to pray for you this morning. Would you stand with me? And we're going to pray this morning.